The third thing I w- we should be looking at is raising the age of eligibility, looking at that very seriously and uh, incorporating that into the program. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board of the host of this series, and in today's conversation, we're going to discuss Medicare. What is it? How can we improve it? And where do we take it from here? Joining me today is Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development, which is the Public Policy Center of the Conference Board. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Steve. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, we're talking today about Medicare, but before we do that, you know, let's just make the distinction between Medicare and Medicaid. What What is Medicaid first, and then what is Medicare? Okay, Steve. So Medicaid is a government health insurance program for adults and children who have limited resources. Medicare is a government health insurance program for seniors over 65 and for some younger with certain disabilities. Got it. Okay. So I think that that's helpful. So we're going to focus on Medicare because this is the the big kahuna in in the federal budget. But, you know, let's just do a little history uh, lesson here. When was Medicare implemented? What were its original goals? And then how have those goals changed over time? Uh, So Medicare was was implemented in 1965, but it was actually on the national agenda since 1945 with Harry Truman. And the reason why I'm mentioning that, uh, because when President Johnson uh, signed the uh, bill that enacted Medicare, uh, he actually went to go visit Harry Truman and signed it with Harry Truman uh, at his in Missouri. And um, Harry Truman was the first person to actually become the first Medicare uh, enrollee. And so the point of Medicare was to actually address the problem of health care, health insurance for seniors over 65, which was uh, a very vulnerable group uh, during the Depression, which is actually what raised Harry Truman's awareness of the problem. A lot of the elderly were very dependent at the time on their children for support, and their children during the Depression were out of jobs. And so that's what put it on the national agenda. And President Johnson signed it into law in 1965. Its original goal was basically hospital insurance, but also physician care then joined uh, into the original uh, Medicare program that it encompassed. And what we've seen over time is that the benefits and what the coverage has expanded and expanded. Yeah. And, and so this is a this is a huge change. I mean, you know, actually, healthcare insurance wasn't really popular or widely used back when Medicare was was implemented, but it was more out of you know, a need for the country to, you know, take care of its seniors, essentially, when they got out of the workplace and so forth. Now it's gotten a little more complex. You know, there are parts A, B, C, and D, and, you know, all you have to do is listen to the ads on TV to know, to know that it's, uh, that it's complex. Can you just give us a little bit of the ABCs on parts A, B, C, and D? Okay, so parts A and B were basically uh, the original parts. Uh, Part A is the hospital outpatient care, uh, the inpatient care, excuse me, and part B, sorry to be confused myself here, and part B is the outpatient care, the physician care. 
Part D is your prescription drug coverage. And then part C, which uh, came into play starting in 1997, is Medicare Advantage, which provides uh, seniors with alternatives to choose health insurance providers uh, through Medicare Advantage. So it's an alternative to the original Medicare program because you can uh, you have the alternative of um, yeah, your health insurance providers through through HMOs, for example. Okay, so A is hospitalization, B is doctor care, D is drug. That that one's easy to remember, and C is Medicare Advantage, which is the supplement. It's the private part. So, so which parts are government funded, and then which parts are privately funded? Okay, so it's a bit of a mix here. <laughs> and basically, the, the clearest part is Part A. So the hospital care is paid through the payroll uh, taxes that everyone uh, pays uh, as part of their 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 wages uh, when when they're in the workforce. And so that that one is pretty clear. That's where uh, the hospital out uh, hospital care, inpatient care is paid for. Then you have uh, basically the other programs, uh, particularly the physician and the drug coverage. You, you have general revenues. Uh, that's that's from other taxes, which pays for about 40% of Medicare now. You um, have basically the premiums that you pay as an individual, the premiums you pay then pay also pay for the coverage uh, in, in, the, in Part D and Part C. So th- those are the main areas where it's basically payroll taxes, general revenue, which includes income taxes, and then you have um, uh, premiums that also uh, pay for uh, Medicare. Okay. So A and B are, you think of it as, as government funded or payroll tax funded and C and D are private, right? Right. Okay. So, and, and that's important because the federal budget deficit is exploding and a large part of that are Medicare expenses, which, you know, which are parts A and B. So maybe give us a, a little hit. When it was first set out, it, you know, it was intended to be a relatively small portion of the budget. And now it's, now it's quite a bit bigger. Any, you know, give, give us some, you know, some, comparisons on the size. Okay, so it, what's interesting is that in the debates in the uh, 1940s and 50s, the, the discussion was whether you are going to have a national healthcare system or are you going to have a uh, healthcare system for seniors? And it really did rein it in. It became a healthcare program for seniors. Uh, today, what we're seeing, what's happening with the Medicare program costs is uh, in fiscal year 2023, it's about 12% of the total federal government spending. That's about 3.8% of GDP. And in 10 years, it's expected to become 6% of GDP. So that, those are huge, huge outgrowth in, in, in the expense of Medicare. Uh, two main reasons, our population is getting older. And the other reason is the rising cost. And so those two combined are really going to affect the cost of healthcare, care and, and Medicare is one of the main drivers of that. Yeah. And it, it just keeps growing, Lori, as a percentage of the federal budget. Why does that happen? I mean, is that is that just simply inflation? It's it's in part it's in part inflation. Uh, it's in part the cost of health care rising. And that's due to inefficiencies uh that's due to how the program 
structured, as some analysts say, that the it's the structure of the program that's actually causing it to be more costly and it could be reconfigured uh, to be more competitive. That's one of the main positions, as you know, that uh, the Committee for Economic Development has been promoting that we look at more competitive systems uh, to bring the costs down. But it's you're we're dealing with a, a an aging population and you're going to have uh, more seniors enrolling into Medicare in the next 15 years than than uh, people than children are born in the United States. Yeah, and you know, if there was ever any um, incentive to keep working, it's it's the <laughs> the albatross of trying to figure out Medicare and and what would happen when you stop working. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to stop because I can't figure this thing out. Anyway, the <laughs> that's a separate issue. This whole thing is is though a continuing to eat more and more of our of our resources. As you said, it was originally intended to just be a tiny portion of the budget, but but due to the aging, due to the due to inflation, due and, and the cost of prescription drugs, which you know continue to go up and these more and more expensive treatments, man, where does it, you know, where do you see this thing leveling out or does it never level out? So it has to level out, uh, Steve. We really have to rein in our spending on health care and Medicare is a, is a uh, critical part of that spending, a real driver of our national debt. It has to be reined in. The demographics aren't working. The cost is inflating. We have to rein it in for our, for our fiscal health going forward, uh, for the stability of our economy, for our continuing ability to prosper, uh, and for our economy to grow. So uh, it is, as I mentioned, one of the main drivers of fiscal instability or ill health. Yeah. And so it has to, but do you, where do you, do you have any forecasts on what percentage of GDP or what percentage of the budget is going to, you know, it's, it's, it's going to consume before it does level out? Well, in terms of GDP in the next 10 years, it's almost going to double. It's going to go from uh, 3.8%, just under 4%, to uh, over 6%. That's in 10 years, Steve. We're not looking at a 30-year projection here. We're looking at a 10-year projection here. Yeah. And, and you know, you still have so many baby boomers retiring every day, you know, entering that portion of, of use. It's just it's just incredible. So, so what do we do, Lori? Because, you know... This is consuming, you know, more and more of the budget. It, it's crowding out other priorities for spending. And it's been described as the third rail of politics, meaning, you know, nobody wants to cut it or nobody wants to amend it or, you know, fix it because, you know, they don't want to disappoint seniors. But what what do we do? So the one of the opportunities in this dark cloud is the fact that the uh, Medicare's hospital insurance fund, its trust fund, is actually going to reach insolvency in 2031. So that should be putting it, or it gives leverage to put it on the congressional agenda, because if nothing is done, uh, you're gonna, going to be looking at mandatory spending cuts beginning at about 11% in 2031 to just cover this insolvency. Uh, so that should be a driver of trying to bring both parties together to deal with this issue in Congress. If you deal with it now, if you start making correct adjustments to, to the program, uh, you could avoid having to deal with the crisis uh, that, that is going to start hitting in 2031. And this notion that 
by not touching it, you're helping seniors is so misplaced because you're really looking at very severe cuts kicking in if you don't do anything about it. So in fact, you're reforming Medicare to save health insurance for seniors over 65. Yeah, you make a uh, an incredibly important point. You know, our politicians seem to think that nothing can get done in Washington without a crisis. And so basically they you know, they, they let the uh, car go off the road, create the crisis, and then, and you know, before they, they deal with anything. But, you know, some people think that this could be just paid for out of general funds. And, and you know, CED's work has proven that that's not possible. So so the reforms are necessary. And um, and if not, then, then, you know, these cuts are draconian. And so what happens in a cut? I mean, so you're a senior, you're dependent on Medicare now, and, and it gets cut. Does that mean you don't get care? Well, it either means you don't get care, or it means uh, we kick in uh, more general revenue from uh, the budget, and which means you're increasing your deficits, and you're increasing your debt, and you are putting the nation uh, on a fiscal cliff that could end in a real debt crisis. Yeah, um, devaluation of the dollar, the whole, the whole thing. That, and you know, it's just not something that we consider because we've just been blessed by you know a growing, healthy economy, the strongest in the world, and lots of money. And 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 it just it's just viewed as being you know, a, a bottomless pit of, of money. And it's not, I think, you know, that's, that's your point here. And, and so there must be some serious action taken. And one data point that's very important, which also equates this with uh, national security, Medicare is uh, costing us in FY 2023, $820 billion. That is equal to our defense budget. But another important data point is that our debt servicing of our $33 trillion debt is costing over $800 billion. And we are crowding out what we can actually spend without totally exploding further on a yearly basis, our deficits and our debt. Uh, we're crowding it out with our debt servicing. We're crowding it out with a, a health care policies and a Medicare program that's exploding, and we're crowding it out. And you also have the demands of, of national security, which is very difficult to challenge right now as the U.S. is involved in two wars in the world, one in Europe with an ally in Europe that had been invaded by Russia, and of course in the Middle East, uh, where Israel is at war with Hamas. We're discussing the history and the objectives of Medicare. Next, we're going to discuss potential changes to the system and what would be required to improve it. We'll take a short break and be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. 
Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin, and I'm joined today by Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, who's the president of the Committee for Economic Development, which is the public policy center of the conference board. Okay, so Lori, we also have to talk about PPACA, or you know, some people call it ACA, some people call it Obamacare, but this whole healthcare reform that was put into place about a decade ago and its impact on Medicare. Can you just give us a, a brief tutorial on that? Okay, so just briefly, Steve, what happened with the Affordable Care Act and the Medicare program is that the Affordable Care Act actually eliminated the coinsurance and the Part B deductibles for certain preventive care services. And by doing that, it actually, with a goal of providing more preventive care, hopefully reducing the cost of the Medicare program. Uh, it in fact has increased the cost, at, at least in the short term of the Medicare program by providing even further benefits on top of the expanding benefits that have been happening over the years. Yeah, so basically it was supposed to cut costs and it was supposed to uh, to, to expand you know, what, it, what it provided, but in fact, it raised costs, so it, exactly the opposite of the objectives that were set out. And one of the problems is you're dealing with uh, a demographic problem that is increasing. We're already at 66 million people who are, who are using Medicare. Uh, is increasing the number very rapidly uh, as population gets older. And the way the program is structured and the way our healthcare programs are structured, the costs are rising rapidly combined with inflation. And so you're seeing this while you're trying to do uh, you know, all good intentions and preventive care to try and keep people healthy, uh, you're actually uh, hitting up against uh, both the demographics and, and cost increases. Uh, yeah, but you know, the, the, the frustrating part of this, your demographic point is that you know, there's no mystery in this. Everybody, everybody who's in this demographic has already been born. You know, they're, they're, you, you know, you know who they are. They're sitting out there, and, yeah. and you can count them. So it's just a matter of you know how long they'll live. So, you know, this is uh, this is uh, just really frustrating that our that our government hasn't been more proactive on this. Well, to your point about it being the third rail, I mean, one of the most, uh, I think, uh, saddest moments in the State of the Union address was when both sides agreed and applauded the fact that we wouldn't touch uh, Social Security and we wouldn't touch um, uh, Medicare. Yeah, thereby ensuring we're going to have deficits as, as far as the eye can see. But it, so let's go back to, to what it, it, you know, when when Medicare was put into place, I think the life expectancy was was around 65, which is the retirement age and when it kicked in. Today, the life expectancy is significantly higher. It's in the 80s. So, you know, there there's just seems to be some obvious things you could do to Medicare to revise to revise it, but also to make it more sustainable. So one of the key things, obviously, and CED has been calling for this for for a, a, a number of years and it's it's market based you put consumer choice into healthcare you let market forces work so that uh you could the beneficiaries can choose you know on the basis of uh, quality on price uh among private plans and they compete among each other and and that will help drive costs down as you're trying to appeal uh to to beneficiaries and so 
put the market back into healthcare and put consumer choice back into healthcare. And you've seen that with, with uh, Medicare Advantage, where you know the, the more choice consumers had, you could see them making smart choices. And uh, so that's, that's number one, the first thing we really need to do to help uh, bend this cost curve. And then Medicare Advantage itself, the second important uh, proposal in terms of trying to bring costs down is to remove these price benchmarks that are based on uh, fee-for-service. Medicare is based on a fee-for-service medicine, and that keeps it inflation-prone. It keeps costs up. You need to switch uh, to a and start with Medicare Advantage by removing the benchmarks based on fee-for-service and put competition back into those programs that can serve as a uh, basically a, um, a test group for how you can do this in terms of reforming uh, Medicare and bending the cost curve overall. And the third thing I would, we should be looking at is raising, to your point about raising the age of eligibility looking at that very seriously and incorporating that into the program, which it is being looked at and it is being adjusted or considered to be adjusted. And uh, you know that that would help really save money over the long term. Those are, those are the top if, three. If they made it any more complex, it would scare everybody away. But but let's go to the market, the market competition thing. So is there competition in C and D, in other words, the Medicare Advantage, the privately, the privately funded parts? Um, yes, there is. And uh, so that it it, it does serve at, and it is working and more people uh, are actually joining Medicare Advantage uh, and and it, which is proving that putting in market based reform, you know, putting in a market based program in terms of Medicare Advantage, uh, it is appealing. It's allowing people choice. Our cons- consumers are clearly smart. I mean, I know you and I are both challenged by this, but oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> um, uh, you know, with with uh, yeah, but we are we are allowed the uh, ability to to actually have transparency to to. Uh, pick our providers. You know there are problems with the program. It's it's regionally uh, available in some places more than others. Uh, uh, it's a uh, confusing, but nonetheless, it is even with those disadvantages, it is it is growing and, and surprising people about how attractive it is. Surprising. So when you ads. talk about when you talk about adding competition, and, you know, to Medicare, you're talking about parts A and B, then. Yes. Yes. Okay. And parts A and B are really controlled by the government. I mean, and they set the pricing, the reimbursement rates, and all of that. So setting competition means really privatizing it. I, I guess would be one one way to think about it, right? Right, and reducing the role of government. Which, if you look back at the beginning of the program and the goals of the program, to to your initial question, it, the role of government in terms of uh, its impact on healthcare pricing uh, was, was supposed to be. And in terms of affecting the market, it was supposed to be de minimis. It was not. It has grown over time. But one of the original goals was was to have a health insurance program for seniors, but not one that was uh, overly government government controlled. Right. And in fact, it's 100% government controlled. And but a big problem here is reimbursements too. So if a, if a doctor says, "Well, you know, it's, it costs me $200 to do X Y Z procedure." Medicare says, well, we'll only pay $100. So the doctors say, well, I'm going to lose $100 on that procedure. 
And so therefore, I'm not going to take Medicare patients. So you see a lot of the best doctors just not, not accepting patients. And so it gets whittled down and the quality of care is, you know, is diminished and, and so forth. So, so there's, there's a, I mean, this is far too complex to go into in a short podcast, but there's, there's a whole bunch here where, you know, and, and a lot of people say, oh, privatization, that's a bad thing. But, but in fact, what you're saying is uh, allow the markets to work, allow the competition then to drive the costs down, allow there to be variations in, in what's offered. You know, why should men have to have, you know, uh, maternity care, for example, but when, but, and that sounds silly, but, you know, these policies are required, you know, that this is the policy period, regardless of, you know, age, gender, or, you know, any other variation. So you're not allowing people to buy what they need, you know, like we would when we go to a store. So all of these things are, are what are behind this whole market-based definition, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's, so, so the market-based thing is one piece of it. You know, the other piece of it is 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 access, okay, which is, you know, a, a key one of your points. Tell us more about that. Uh, well, so you know, particularly if you're if you're looking at Medicare Advantage, which is a you know perfect example, it is uh, not universally nationwide available. It is available uh, by to to different degrees and different levels by region, and so your ability to choose Medicare Advantage in part depends on on where you live. And uh, you know that in and of itself uh, is one of the is is a a major roadblock to accessibility. And what you want in a national health insurance program uh, for seniors is number one: you want this program accessible, you want it affordable, and you want quality care. Yeah, and and some of the key areas of, you know of the nation where you know they they're lacking this is in the rural areas um, or the the lower you know less populated areas, you know, or they have maybe one place to go, or maybe it's fifty or sixty miles away, which is really not good in the case of an emergency, or even in the case where you're trying to do you know proactive care, it's just too far, it's too much, it's too hard, and so you skip it, and so all of these things lead to bad outcomes from a health perspective. Yeah, everything that you're seeing in terms of the problems in the healthcare system across the nation overall, and rural healthcare is a very important and significant problem in terms of accessibility. Uh, everything that you're seeing on the national level in terms of healthcare uh, is compounded when you're looking at at um, healthcare for seniors, uh, particularly since mobility for seniors is even more difficult uh, than it is for the general population. So you're you're dealing with an uh, you know an older demographic uh, with limited access uh, to resources, and it just compounds the problem. And, and Laura, your center has been talking to our elected officials for a very long time about this. And it's interesting, you know, you've talked, you, you've shared this before, that when you talk to people in, on, in Congress on both sides of the aisle, they acknowledge all of these issues, but they won't act on it. And so I think this kind of ends up where we started, which is there needs to be some political will here to, to take action, doesn't there? Right. And, and uh, what is the best creator of political will? It's a crisis. And what we want to avoid is the cliff. But 2031 is, is hovering right over us. And 
it's raising awareness and and you know as you know steve that's what we're trying to do is is raise awareness of the issue raise awareness to, uh regarding the deadlines uh and it's it's that type uh you know in 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 effect the crisis the the insolvency of the uh, medicare trust fund should be leveraged to get solutions before we we hit the wall and uh, end up having to either increase the deficits and debt to deal with it or cut the uh, revenue available or the resources available to provide health care to to seniors and yeah actually- and you know this this conversation's been going on a long time I remember when when we were in our 20s you know all of these things were being said at that point in time and they they still haven't fixed it. And it's very easy for younger people to just ignore this and say, well, you know, I'm not going to be 65 for a billion years. And so they'll fix it by then. But they haven't. And so this is an issue for people of all ages, not just people who are um, nearing or at retirement age. Um, And I think, you know, that's an important point, too. Everybody needs to get involved. You need to tell your congressman, just act, get this fixed, you know, stop fooling with this. Well, and young people are paying payroll taxes, <laughs> so and they're also paying income tax. They're funding this, and if it all crashes and burns, all they've done is fund a broken program and not get any of the benefits. Yeah, that's incentive as well. Lori, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks, Steve. An important conversation. I appreciate being asked to join you. And thanks to all of you for listening into CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with anybody who can spell Medicare. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.